Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Commune Podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the first-person shooter Dusk from 2017. Uh, We'll be discussing Dusk as a continuation of our series on first-person shooters, where previously we talked about Hexen, Quake, Descent, Doom, Doom 2, and Marathon. Uh, Most recently, Hexen. Um... But it's been a little while since we recorded, so I'm just going to introduce everyone. We've got Golem. Hello. Shouty. Howdy. Adrian. Hey. And I am yourself. So, uh, I have been playing uh, quite a few random first-person shooters in the interim since our last episode. Uh, have you guys done anything first-person adjacent? Not really. Uh, well, I can say for myself, um, you posted a link to that Bidofied Doom mod. So I've been playing Doom 2 with that. Um, and something I realized is that uh, Doom 2 has like the ammo layer and the map layer, or, or like the maze layer. And then the combat layer, and uh, <clears throat> simplifying the ammo layer does so much more to make it approachable. So I'm I'm enjoying Doom Two a lot more now. Bidofied. That's B Y D O F I E D. Yes. Can you explain what that is briefly? Yeah. So someone um, made a mod for uh, Doom where. The weapons are turned into, uh, like, R-Type-inspired weapons. Um, So instead of a shotgun, you have a helix laser. And instead of a um, chain gun, you have a reflect laser, stuff like that. Um, And there's other little tweaks along the way, but that's mainly it. Right, so it uses... Uh, a weapon set inspired by the classic uh, 80s arcade shmup R-Type. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. I toyed around with Bidofied a little bit as well, and I think Shouty did too. Um, and it, it's a newish mod. There's no map pack that goes with it. Uh, but it was like really fun and makes the game feel even more arcadey than Doom already does because you don't have to think about uh, that ammo layer. And for me, at least, I have all the maps pretty well memorized at this point, so I didn't have to think about that either. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was part of it for me, that, like, um, I don't know the maps, and so it's easy to get flustered, hung up on, I don't know how long the map is, do I need to hang on to my shotgun ammo, or this or that. Um, and just like removing that calculation, it was a lot easier to engage with where are the map uh, locks and keys. Shouty, what did you think of that mod? Um, yeah, I experienced mostly the same thing where I didn't have to worry about the ammo layer. Although I do find the weapons, because uh, there are no hit scan weapons, that it is a bit trickier to make sure my attacks hit. Uh, negotiating the geometry. Uh, the the map pack I played is what the um 
the the thread demonstrated uh, the the map pack in with screenshots, and so I was unfamiliar with the map, so I'm not sh so I didn't play it with vanilla weapons at first. I played it entirely with I played it with the map pack weapons. So it was for you. It wasn't maps that were packed in with Bite Five, but you played new maps to you with the new weapon set, so it was like a totally new experience. Yeah. What was the map pack called again? Equinox. Equinox. And that was like older, right? Yeah, it's a early 2000s wad. Uh, How, you know, you've played other uh, Doom mods. Is that, in terms of like total conversions, That that's obviously not really a total conversion it's only a, a weapon modification but in terms of like weapon conversions is uh bidified like pretty typical of what you've played yeah i'd say so um just they're having a different set of weapons i think is enough to make it a, a, a almost a total convert if it had its own maps with its own enemies and own graphics then yeah it'd basically be a total conversion yeah, and it does it does actually have its own sound effects that it draws from R type and even some like enemy effects that are really cool, like the way that enemies die. Yeah. Prolonged explosion. Um that looks great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh so what I played uh or what is coming to mind for me is I played the Quake expansion, Dimension of the Machine which was recently developed for the uh, source port, the official Bethesda, whatever, source port of Quake, which is on consoles and PC, and um, is a new, like, five-episode, two maps per episode, but long maps, like 30-minute long maps, uh, uh, basically an entire new full-length campaign for Quake. Uh, I think... I know, Shouty, you played it. I think, Golem, you were looking at it, but you didn't play it. No, I played, like, the first map and checked out. Yeah. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, as That was, like, a as a modern map pack developed in the Quake engine. It was similar, in a way, to Dusk, in that Dusk is something that goes back to... Dusk is obviously not a Quake mod, but it's something that goes back to... The, the style of engine that Quake used. And uh, so seeing something developed very recently, but as a full standalone package for Quake, uh, reminded me of Dusk. And uh, to mention the machine, you know, it has some similarities, one of which being that Quake was very limited by the amount of enemies or the, the number of enemies that each map could uh, sustain and the number of enemies that could be on screen at a time basically so that in Quake your encounters are usually with three or four enemies and, and larger encounters might be more than that but you're not going to see more than ten enemies at a time in Quake and uh, Dimension of the Machine like Dusk uh, scales that up, and and this is actually similar to what Doom Two does to the original Doom. It scales things up so that 
uh, now you have a, a quake map or quake maps where you can fight like 20 enemies or 30 enemies at a time and uh, so you have much larger scale battles and it just brings a brings out different elements of the gameplay I think So that brings us to our subject being Dusk. Uh, Dusk is, uh, as I think probably anyone listening to this will know, uh, a 2017 sort of one-man developed uh, first-person shooter. Dave Szymanski is the uh, developer who uh, came up with the game. Is, is, what I've read is that he was playing with the Unity engine and wanted to see if he could make a first-person shooter and ended up um, just spinning from there into something that was a throwback to uh, the older age of first-person shooters that, that he really liked. So it's uh, structurally certainly in the style of Doom and Quake with uh, short maps that take maybe 10 minutes to clear uh, or, you know, in the 5 to 20 minute range. Uh, and there are... 30 maps, 33 maps in Dusk, I think, um, divided into episodes. And they, the weapon set and the enemy set are in some ways uh, sort of derivative of Quake-era shooters. And Half-Life has also been... He also cited Half-Life as, as a reference. I think that that's... Um, well, I'm just not as familiar with Half-Life as I am with Quake. Uh, but I think that I don't see that as much. <laughs> um, but but anyway, uh, uh, you know, I'm hogging the mic here. But I, I wanted to just uh, have our, our first recording here. We're going to do uh, a series of recordings, and we're going to talk about the level design and uh, the enemy design and the encounters uh, in the game. But tonight we're just going to talk about what our first impressions of Dusk are, some of the references that we picked up, and what we think generally just what stood out to us about the game. Well, uh, I, I guess the first question I'll pose is, how did you guys play Dusk? Uh, you know, it's on... I, I know we didn't all play it on the same platform. So, Adrian, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, so I did not get the Switch version. I got the PC version of Dusk because I wanted to take advantage of my uh, sweet keypad and mouse that uh, solves a lot of the issues I have with uh, gaming on keyboard and mouse. Um, I did have a couple issues at 
Uh, it's just because, like, every now and then the, the freaking keypad gets stuck in one direction, which sucks. Um, I started out on interceptor mode and then eventually turned it off. I think it was the... Which one? Intruder mode. <laughs> I... Why do I keep saying that? There, there's there's some game that uh, has bleached that into my brain for some reason. Anyways, I think after episode one, I stopped doing the intruder mode and just started playing the regular difficulty. And yeah, that kind of uh, fixed some, or not not that it fixed some, but uh, it definitely got around some of the uh, the hangups when I was playing the first episode, particularly around uh, the Cuddy Mine. E1M6, where it was just like picking up something, throwing it, picking up something, throwing it to try to conserve ammo. Can you explain what intruder mode is? It's basically pistol start, but <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. Right. It's like a forced inventory reset at the beginning of each map because technically Dust doesn't... It's not a pistol start in Dusk, right? You start with sickles only. Yeah, you're right, so it's more like a sickle start. Uh, Shouty, I know you played on PC, right? Yeah. Uh, was there anything unusual about the... Uh, was it any different than playing Quake would be on PC? Um, not really. Not as not even like any different from like playing other first-person shooters. And Golem... How did you play? On Switch. Um, with the Pro Controller and no uh, gyro controls. Ah, okay. So you did a dual analog only. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Did you play in handheld mode at all? Yeah, I would say half and half. Like, um, episode three is now ingrained in my brain with... Um, Golden Girls, because that was uh, one Sunday afternoon. Marielle had Golden Girls on the TV, and I was playing Dusk on the couch. <laughs> Golden age of first-person shooters. <laughs> uh, so I, I played on Switch as well. Uh, I played with a pro controller, sometimes in handheld mode, and I played most of the game... Wait... I think I played through once without gyro and then once with gyro because when it was first released, the gyro controls are kind of messed up and they didn't really work the way you'd expect them to. But that was fixed pretty quickly in an update. So uh, the gyro controls are great now. I I like playing with a gamepad and gyro controls almost as much as uh, mouse and keyboard. And taking into account the convenience factor of it, I do like it as much. Uh, and Dusk is a, you know, a pretty quick-paced game, so having the gyro there, I think, does... Well, certainly when it came to using the sniper or the hunting rifle, I appreciated having the gyro. Yeah, yeah so often with the uh, hunting rifle, uh, I would, like, tweak my aim right and then be too, like, oversteer. Tweak my aim left and oversteer that way, and uh, it was kind of comical. So having a finer level of control, I could understand being useful. So, Shouty, you played on Sarah Mieta difficulty to start with, right? Yeah. How hard did you think the game was? 
I did die a lot in in any attempt in any uh, map I can think of. So I'd say it's pretty difficult. Not too difficult though. Not not like compared to um uh, playing other first person shooters on like the second highest difficulty. The the actual hard mode that isn't just bonkers crazy hard. Compare it to Quake Nightmare. I'd say it's about the same difficulty as that. What? <laughs> well, the thing about Quake Nightmare is that, well, depends on which one you're talking about. You're talking about the remaster Nightmare or no. the original? No, I'm talking about original Nightmare. Yeah, original Nightmare on Quake is pretty. Uh, can can get pretty brainless sometimes. <laughs> Man, I think it's hard. <laughs> well, uh. I guess that would be getting into enemy behaviors and such. Well, yeah, and that's the thing about Dusk, right? That, like, Quake has shamblers, it has hit scanners, uh, and it has uh, really high HP enemies that take 10 hits to kill. Um, And so. Golem, I think you said one of the most distinguishing features of Dusk was uh, the projectile-only enemies. Yeah. So do you want to just describe a little bit um, what that means? In first-person shooter lingo, hitscan means an enemy or a gun is pointed at something and when the trigger gets pulled, the bullet is inside the target on the next frame. Um, And then if you play more modern shooters, there might not be literal hitscan, but there's, um, you know, tantamount hitscan where a bullet moves at a realistic speed that you're not going to, like, walk out of the way of. Um, So something that's really too fast to dodge anyway. Uh, But with uh, Dusk, projectiles or sorry every bullet is slow enough that um at let's say 10 meters or something you can walk out of the way of any bullet that's coming your way and some projectiles are even slower than that um i think maybe the fastest projectiles come out of the mama or whatever she's called um uh mama is the mini boss version and the regular enemy version is called sister I think. I thought it was called Cowgirl. Cowgirl, maybe? Squeaky Lady? I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, it, and even her, you can you can run out of the way of. Um, so that was really distinctive. Just um, being kind of green to first-person shooters still and being able to see something and react to it. Yeah, and that, like, at a very simplified level, the idea of a projectile is that it's an enemy attack or a shot that you can see, you know, um, you can see the fireballs coming for you. You can see the, uh, what does anyone else shoot in dusk? Squares, voxels, uh, bullets. The goats shoot those little blood bullets or whatever the hell. Yeah. What are they shoot? They're like spitting blood at you. Maybe. Maybe. I think those come up pretty quickly. Yeah. They basically do. hit scanning. For me, it's just the it's the fact they're so small. <laughs> oh yeah, that yeah, that would contribute to it too. 
So given that all the enemies are, uh, or use projectile cell attacks, which actually, uh, not exactly true. Uh, there are melee enemies and, you know, technically you could call melee hitscan, but we just consider them melee enemies. Um, but being is there, all the enemies are projectile based that limits you to a certain, um, segment of what the design space of doom and quake is. Uh, quake is pretty light on hit scanners, but then, uh, the hardest enemy in the game is a hit scanner. So it sort of balances itself out. Uh, and Doom is a pretty even balance of uh, projectiles and hit scanners. And I think um, Hexen was all projectile. Uh, Duke 3D leans toward hit scan, right? Uh, the only one that comes off the top of my head for hit scan is actually uh, the Battle Lord. Well, what about the pig cops? Oh right, pan pick cop, pick cops and enforcers. You're right. They they've got a decent amount of hit scanners. And actually, uh, Duke has a good example of what Golem was talking about of fast projectiles. Uh, the projectile or the laser bullets fired by the assault troopers in Duke 3D. Those aren't quite um, hit scan esque but they are much faster than what you see in Doom and probably faster than what you see in Dusk either. They are, uh, you only are going to see that for a couple frames before it hits you. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I was trying to get towards was projectile speed. The projectile speed actually varies on different difficulties of the game. Uh, it is faster at harder difficulties. So I guess at this point I'm the only one that's played on multiple levels to see that. Yeah, I've only played on um, I Can Take It. Same. I was on uh, I Can Take It. Yeah, so th I think that they're 50% faster at the high at, on Dustmare. They're like, I think they're 25% faster on Sierra Miedo. Uh, this is all referenceable on the wiki. I should have looked it up before I started talking about this, but... Um, they're not insanely faster, but certainly if you switch from I Can Take It to Duskmare, you're going to need to recalibrate for the projectile speed. Mm. Uh, Shadi, you and I had a discussion about what enemy is uh, more threatening, the goats that shoot blood or the, um, the mages that shoot fireballs. Yeah, I... I said that the goats are more threatening, right? Yeah, you were on uh, Team Goat. Yeah. I mean, they're faster and they shoot what I would consider basically a hit scan projectile. You think that those are impossible to dodge? Not impossible, but they do um, require some uh, wide movements. Like, you have to keep on your toes when you're around them. Well, the the mages just toss a slow-moving fireball. It's basically the speed of an imp's fireball in Doom. Uh, just to make sure I'm on the same page, are we talking the tracking fireballs? 
No, Sorry. no, we're talking about the smaller mages. Yeah. Okay. Regular fireballs. The white mages. <laughs> the ones with the green fart gas around them. I didn't even notice that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, Shadi, do you, the goats like? How do you respond to them? Like they force you into cover. Uh, they for just force me to like uh, keep my distance, really, because I feel like if I close, try to close in on them, they're just gonna get me no matter what. So I, ideally, I'd use a more ranged weapon like the assault rifle. Wow, with mages, I can easily take it with a shotgun. Okay, so there's like a danger radius that you draw around that enemy where you think you're certainly going to get hit if you come that close to it. Yeah. Yeah, I actually haven't played any maps in Duskmare yet that have those guys, but with the accelerated projectiles, maybe they would be pretty painful. <laughs> well, I uh, put the mages in a higher class of difficulty because they have more HP. Uh, so the, the goats... I think the goats' official name is Black Phillip, but I'm not saying that. Um, I'm just going to call it the goat. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be confusing to everyone here and everyone listening if we call them Black Phillip. <laughs> um, but the, the goats, you can always kill in one hit, so mm -hmm. they're easy to scrub off. Where the mages, I feel like I actually need to get close to because I need that full shotgun blast to hit. If it's like a uh, a medium range shot, I feel like it's not gonna kill them. I, you know what's making this consideration a little rough is that uh, the mages are used so much more often and I have a lot of memories of like hooking them around into infighting. Now I wanna see what the goat would do in that situation, but um. They're pretty... I feel like they go away after the first episode. They do. I think the reason why the goat, in my memory, is... I think has nailed more hits on me, which is why I feel like that one's more dangerous, uh, is because whenever it's, it is put given the opportunity to be put in groups or wide open spaces where there's a lot more than just it by itself. Because, um, you know, those first couple levels, the dusks enemies are laid out you know they're kind of they're pretty one at a time you know you round a corner you see one guy around another corner see one more guy that kind of lit setup but once you start getting into the more open stages like you know uh like e1 m7 dead of the night that's when the or actually i don't remember if ghosts are in if uh, goats are in that one but in those more open spaces i, I think I'm more like e1 m3 with the the church uh, that's when the the goats I found were more annoying, especially because the projectile was so small that I couldn't actually tell when it was shooting. So you know, you see an enemy run at you. Oh, it's running, coming straight for me. Easy target, shoot it in the face. But at some point, it would. They also had that magic ability of leaving a suicide bullet for me that I couldn't tell it was doing. So you know, it's a. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I feel like the I think the goats have always nailed more hits on me than the uh, clansmen did. And they don't literally fire a suicide bullet, right? You mean... They they somehow always manage to get one bullet off right as I shoot them. As you shoot them, yeah. Yeah, yeah so 
the goats are like the bottom tier. Uh, well, the, so the mages or the clansmen, those are throughout the game. That is sort of the base enemy of Dusk. Um, they show up, I think, a little more in episode one and episode three than they do in episode two, but they're always, they're a pretty constant presence. Uh, but as you guys said, the goats only show up in episode one. So uh, what's the episode two equivalent of the goat? No soldiers. Oh, I would say the, um, the, uh, the, uh, friggin' invisible guy, whatever it is. Wendigo? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Adrian, what would your pick be? Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting an enemy, but the only reason I'm saying a Wendigo because the, the, the weird thing about the goat is it looks like your rushdown enemy, but it actually still shoots a bullet at you, so it's not completely a rushdown. Um, so the goat is unique in that sense. I don't know if there's another equivalent, because even the Wendigo can't shoot at you. If anything, Episode 3 has more what I consider equivalent, which is the weird uh, stick man dude with the big open mouth. That, to me, is more like the... resembles the goat more. Episode 2, I don't think there's quite a comparison, or at least it's always going to have one thing off, so I guess Wendigo. Okay, oh, wait! Wendi the scientist? But they don't shoot anything. Okay. Wendigo is a crazy pick. That is not the goat of episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Wendigo is like one of the stronger enemies. It's, <laughs> but yeah, I, I said scientist, but the scientist doesn't yeah. shoot anything. Yeah, I don't think it's a scientist either. I, I would, well, I'm not the authority on this, but I would agree with Shouty that the soldier fills the same role as the goat. Hmm. Uh, what do you, so? What do you guys, Adrian? Why do you disagree with that? I mean that that. Makes enough sense. The soldier. I guess it's just because the appearance that the soldier doesn't look like it, it runs at you. Um, I don't know if it closes the distance at the same speed that the goat does, but uh, I guess if that's your. It, is, it actually, does have a closer analog to the goat then. You actually have a good point about the appearance, though, in that the goat is sort of a half height character, right? Like, yeah. you have to aim down a little bit at them. Yeah. Uh, whereas the soldiers are roughly character, one character height. Mm -hmm. Golem, uh, how do the uh, soldier projectiles work? They, I think they aim at you and shoot three times, and they kind of, they're not terribly accurate, right? Isn't there like always one that leans left, one that leans right? I don't know exactly how it works. Shouty, do you have a better idea? Aren't they just like a like a vertical spread or like a diagonal spread? It always seemed like that to me. But do you think it's a consistent pattern? I don't think so. So it's a scatter more yeah, so than a spread. Yeah, it's like a scatter, but I can't really uh, describe the shape. It's just three bullets coming right at you in whatever shape they... They can't. I guess like the, um, like the shotgun patterns from Doom, but if they were projectiles instead of hit scans, and with uh, fewer uh, shots. Yeah, Doom has scatter. Uh, you know, we did a whole podcast on non-determinism in Doom and talked about the uh, randomized elements of it. Uh, 
so Doom has scatter applied to the shotgun, which is a projectile weapon, and to the um, to the God chain gun and handgun, which are also hit scan weapons. Um, but then the projectile weapons in Doom are all perfectly aim or perfectly accurate, basically. Uh, the plasma gun, the rocket gun, the, uh, the rocket launcher, the BFG, and enemy projectiles as well are all perfectly accurate, right? Yeah. Or well, accurate is not counting like um, auto aim assists. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, because you've got. The vertical auto aim, as well as some very minor uh, horizontal aim correction. Yeah. So the scattered projectiles that the the soldier fires makes it distinct from anything you see in Doom. What about? Is there an equivalent to that in Quake or any of the other games we played? What about the Death Knight? In Quake. Ah, the Death Knight. That's true. The Death Knight is uh, the only one that does spread like that. But is it the same thing, or is it a... Uh, it's not... Or is it like a random scatter? It's, it, that one I don't think is random. No, It does it's just not. seem to be like a, fi- a fixed five-way spread that it does. Right. I don't think that's... Hmm, I'm not sure. Because the animation's the same, but do the bullets come out on the same frames all the time from the animation? I think in Doom you might have an argument for a Mancubus, but that's also a stretch. No, no, Mancubus is consistent. Right, yeah. but it's a spread. It's, yeah, it's a spread. Well, there's a difference between three bullets shot at the same time versus shooting three bullets in rapid succession. I think he was shoots two bullets at a time in rapid succession. Right. He he does a, you know, three yeah, he shoots left. He yeah, shoots he right, then left, then down the center. Right. Three pairs. Um, but, Golem, you were just saying, like, in the general sense of a spread projectile, right? That's what you meant. Or a projectile that's not directly at the player. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, cer- uh, certainly in Doom, I think the Mancubus is the closest equivalent, but I think that the Scatter does... Um, like, the Mancubus, we've all... Or I know that um, we've talked about weaving between the Mancubus projectiles because you can predict where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. So even when you're up close with him, um, you can sort of get in between the shots. Yeah. Uh, which is... Not something I really felt I was able to do with the soldier spread in Dusk. Oh, you're getting Or the horror, close. for that matter. Well, yeah. So, you're saying that you would fight the soldier from a distance great enough that you can fit in between his projectiles. I actually, um... I mean, I think a lot of the time the level design puts you in a pretty tight spot with the soldier where you like pop out around a corner and shotgun it right away. But, um, I was just playing Erebus reactor last night and that has soldiers up on the top donut and they'll be firing at you from all the way across the arena where it takes like, 
you know, you have time to make a coffee before the bullet gets to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually played that map yesterday as well. That was one of the few that I played on Duskmare. So that was a place where I had to be really concerned because Duskmare is one hit KO mode. So I had to be really careful about those uh, scatter projectiles. And those soldiers that were up on that catwalk were the first thing that I went after because I knew if I left them up there, I would just be having random crap flying through the map all the time. <clears throat> yeah. I think that one, that level in particular was one that, um, well, I, I don't know if we want to get into this subject now, but we, we had a conversation in one of my sessions about um, the, some of the distances in the shootouts that you have in Dusk versus Quake, where sometimes they really are just tiny blotches of pixels on the screen, and uh, that's that's this fairly distinct from uh, Doom and Quake. No, I I think that's a good thing to bring up because that is one of the, you know, talking about broad distinctions. <clears throat> yeah. That is something, and and that's something that I was alluding to with regard to Dimension of the Machine uh, as well, where yeah. that again you've got larger draw distances than Quake could do, so uh, you can have these really large open arenas that don't really show up in the original Quake campaigns. Right. I think the one, I guess, speaking to the benefit of the projectile only or projectile mostly uh, enemy roster is like you don't get some of those awkward situations like a, what, what's Rom Romero's level in Doom 2? It's E1M15, I think, with that has the secret uh, exit. Industrial Zone? Yeah, that one where it's just like, oh, a chain gunner that I couldn't even goddamn see, which like shot me like all like uh, three miles away. Thank you. <laughs> God, you just rem you just reminded me of the other thing I played in between, which was Plutonia. <laughs> and you haven't played it yet, but you just described, like, half of that game. <laughs> yeah. Cause, and um, I think, also, you don't run into, um, I don't know. It, it, that map also brought to you attention. It was like, hmm, these shotgunners uh, are not using their shotgun as a shotgun and almost using it as just, like, a... a, a wider sniper rifle because goddamn the distances that they would attempt to shoot you with a gun like that yeah which is exactly the flip side of how <clears throat> you can use the shotgun as a sniper rifle in doom but you don't have to in dusk because dusk has the hunting rifle yep i wanted to ask um it occurred to me that the hunting rifle being like a very particular, precise, long-range weapon seems out of place in an otherwise like fast and bouncy shooter. And like um, Quake itself doesn't have a sniper rifle. So like, would you say, you know, uh, are there other fast-paced shooters that have rifles or like long-range sniper rifles? Well, not only does Quake not have a sniper rifle, but Quake has a uh, accurate hitscan weapon that is strictly range limited. The the Thunderbolt, um, mm -hmm. you like very specifically cannot snipe with hitscan unless you use the very weak uh, shotgun. But your question, uh, Shouty, what do you think about that? I can't. I don't. I don't. I can't think of any. But like, 
So Half-Life is one of the first games mm. that uh, really has a sniper rifle. Do you think that that, like, is comparable to Dusk? No, I don't think it is, even <laughs> if the creator said that uh, he took inspiration from it. I feel like what? as far as Half-Life in Dusk goes, it's just the physics uh, uh, objects that you can throw, pick up and throw, and the um, I guess the lab levels. Yeah, I I think that, well, for one thing, uh, you could take inspiration for something and then not actually end up with an end product that's very much like it. But yeah, I think that there's uh, a stronger aesthetic, noticeable aesthetic um, connection with Half-Life because of those levels. Um, yeah, but I don't know if Half-Life is fast-paced in the same way as a game like Dusk or Quake or Doom or... Well, Half-Life has complex AI, right? Yeah. I feel like Half-Life is more about the exploration and uh, finding maybe even non-violent ways of getting around enemies. Well, in Doom and, and Dusk and Quake, you're encouraged to gun down everything that you see. Yeah, isn't there that well, boss in, in Half-Life that you have to hit a switch to kill? Yes, the Gargantua. So, in Half-Life, the thing is, you can't really run past enemies, right? Like, you get annihilated in Half-Life if you're out in the open and there's hit scanners around, or soldiers around. Well, yeah, but there are also sequences in Half-Life where you do have to find cover and avoid, like, a helicopter trying to shoot you down. But isn't that the big difference? That, like, you're finding cover, which is not necessarily what you're doing in Dusk. In Dusk, uh, certainly I find myself just on the move constantly, and I think that's what Golem was referring to. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. It, it's weird. I found myself in the fight in the boss fight with Jacob, like bunny hopping and using the hunting rifle. And like the thought just occurred to me, Hey, this is weird. <laughs> Wait, were you using it? Well, were you actually landing shots? Well enough. I mean, you only have so much ammo. Say so saying you landed like one shot <laughs> enough to kill Jacob. I, oh, there's a backpack okay. in that arena, so you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be, you know, you can't just uh, uh, fire randomly. Yeah. And the hunting rifle does account for a lot of uh, potential damage output, so putting that ammo to good use is something that's going to accelerate a lot of fights if you don't want to end up falling back on the shotguns all the time. Um, fast-paced shooters with a sniper rifle. I mean, Goldeneye is the other, uh, like, first sort of sniper rifle game, or it's certainly the first, like, iconic, uh, shooter that has a sniper rifle in it, or a scoped rifle. But that's also like Half-Life in that you're, uh, you're skulking around exploratory maps and avoiding enemy, maybe even avoiding enemy confrontation. Yeah, I think it's even baked into the control scheme of Goldeneye that um, you're never looking down a scope and moving at the same time the way you would in Dusk. 
Yeah, that's right. Can you even move when you've got the scope up? No, I don't think so, because you have to use the analog stick to aim. Right, you've only got... Your movement stick becomes your aiming stick. Yeah, unless you can strafe. I, yeah, that's what I'm trying to think. There's corner if you can. leaning with the C buttons. There is oh, corner that leaning. Is. Yeah. I'm, tr I'm trying to think of other sniper rifle examples. I mean, Counter-Strike is a big... Uh, that's another... Uh, obviously, Counter-Strike based on Half-Life. Uh, and that uh, has a sniper rifle, which is pretty uh, pivotal... Uh, and that is a fast-paced sort of... Well, no, I, I, again, that's like a you're moving and shooting a lot, but also there's a lot of covering in yeah. Counter-Strike. Like, you can't just be out in the open all the time. Yeah, Counter-Strike counter, counter -Strike is a like a high, super lethal, a much more... I actually would say slower pace, because, you know, you can't, like... You're not running 60 miles an hour like you are in Doom. So that one definitely feels more of a see-them-before-they-see-you kind of game. Yeah, I was just thinking of it in the sense of Counter-Strike is the origin, to, as far as I know, of no-scoping, and uh, ah. I really I really enjoy no-scoping things in Dusk. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've got probably a hundred clips on my Switch of like three or four no-scopes in a row. Just feels so satisfying to hit stuff that way. Oh, yeah. Actually, I, I want to give this credit to Dusk as well uh, for using the right-click for uh, a zoom. And it's on all the guns, not just the, the hunting rifle. Um, yeah, that actually alleviates uh, a lot of the problem of uh, shooting at what I call shooting at pixels. So an issue that in in some moments is present in Doom, or at least in some levels like uh, Industrial Zone, uh, is not present, or at least can be mitigated in Dusk. Which, uh, Definitely. Yeah, it helps for those uh, large arena setups that it does. Yeah, and, and there's... I mean, when you're comparing to Doom, there's just the fact that you can shoot... Uh, you can aim accurately across an arena. You know, you can aim vertically at something. You don't have to be relying on the auto-aim <laughs> for hit-scan weapons only. Um, and then... You know, as we, we already said, with Quake, you just don't have a long-range hitscan weapon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that the sniper rifle definitely adds a little bit of... I think it plays well into the large-scale arenas of Dusk. Um, so then, you know, talking about the, the player weapon set... Um, it's sort of like the opposite of the enemies, right? Like, the enemies are all projectile, but you're mostly hitscan. Yeah, you are mostly hitscan. So, pistol, assault rifle, double shotgun, super shotgun. Like, half your half your arsenal is a, a hitscan. Uh, what about the projectile weapons? Golem, like, what did you think of those? So you've got the crossbow, the mortar, and the riveter. I don't think I'm missing anything there, right? I'm going to say no. I don't think so. So um, 
I actually really liked the crossbow um, and that, <laughs> I guess, to me, the concept of a railgun was new, so I was playing around with that a lot, like shooting enemies from below ledges and around corners and stuff like that. Um, you're supposed to be able to fly with it, but I never figured that out. Uh, the mortar you get a lot of ammunition for, so that was something that I like challenged myself to use more often, even though it was really easy to damage yourself with it. Um, Actually, let's just stick with the crossbow for a second. Sure. Like the idea of a railgun is something that's in other first-person shooters, but it's not the most common. Like of the weapons in Dusk, I think it's the least commonly seen certainly the way it behaves is at least commonly or or it's not normally i just don't have a lot of comparison points for it uh half-life has a real gun right shouty i'm asking you i can't remember if it does uh half-life certainly not the crossbow oh wait no wait are you seeing the crossbow in two is a real gun yeah yeah the crossbow in two is definitely a real gun Oh, okay. What about that? I'm just spitballing here. That seems like the kind of thing that would be in Red Faction. You're going to have to find someone that's played Red Faction. (laughs) (laughs) I am not one of them. (laughs) The, um, actually, I think that uh, Red Faction Armageddon, which is like the fourth or fifth Red Faction game, that one has a magnetic railgun, which is kind of awesome in that you could put a you can fire a positive pole and a negative pole, and whatever they touch becomes magnetically attracted. Red Faction Armageddon's kind of it's got some awesome stuff in there. Hmm. Uh, but uh, Goldeneye doesn't have a railgun th- that I can think of. Uh, Perfect Dark does. Perfect Dark has like a not only a railgun but a sort of x-ray visor or an x-ray scope that you can use to shoot stuff through walls which is uh pretty devastating in multiplayer (laughs) um but the uh but uh hexen also had something approaching or related to a railgun which is the mage's sapphire wand oh yeah um, yeah, the sapphire wand is a real gun. But it's not quite the same as the dusk one. Yeah, because it, well, I mean, the crossbow in dusk, I would say, is less like a real gun than the sapphire wand. Because the sapphire wand, you know, shoots into a literal rail, a literal vector that pierces everything. While the, the crossbow is a, is a projectile. Yeah, but a rail is a projectile. It's a, isn't it like a just a series of infinitely small projectiles? No, that's well. I mean, a railgun, just broadly speaking, is a magnetically accelerated projectile. But like, yeah. what it's synonymous with in video games is a gun that shoots through things. Yeah. Um. And I, I think you're right that that some do use like fleshette type projectiles, uh, but the idea of it being a rail 
uh, or like a, a an iron rod, basically, uh, yeah. is definitely established. Uh, but the sapphire wand only penetrates enemies. The crossbow penetrates walls. So I think that's oh, a pretty yeah. big difference. I never tried that. Wait, you never tried in Dusk or in Hexen? In, in Dusk. I never tried piercing walls. What? <laughs> yeah. That was one of the most useful aspects <laughs> about it. <laughs> Oh well. Yeah, uh, the crossbow is really powerful because, uh, well, strength-wise, it's actually not, and the fact that it's a projectile means it's harder to aim than your hit scan weapons. Uh, but being able to shoot through walls definitely lets you. Uh, <laughs> you can cheese a lot of things that way. Like I, I don't want to call it strictly cheesing because that's what it's designed for. Right? Mm -hmm. But, like, if I see a yellow keycard door and I haven't fought any enemies in a little while and I have the sneaking suspicion that there's going to be enemies on the other side of that door, I'm just going to shoot, like, <laughs> five or ten crossbow bolts through yeah. and, and clear shit out before I even get there. And a good example of that is actually on Erebus Reactor, E2M6. There are a bunch of ambushes behind the keycard doors, one of which being a cowgirl. And you can definitely kill her with the crossbow before opening that door. You just gotta listen, basically, for the hit effect. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was cool. The flying... Adrian, did you do any flying with the crossbow? So I know the... I did see the cross. I commented how the cross, the crossbow had like knockback when you sh shot it, which made it uh, a feel fairly unique compared to other weapons. Where even even the riveter doesn't kick you back. Uh, but no, I've never I haven't done any flying. Actually, I think I did it on accident once uh, when I picked up one of the fast fire totems in um, E three. It was the one that's kind of like a city. I think it's Brimstone Ghetto. Okay. Because yeah, there's that's... like one right at the beginning, and I think I did that on accident. But it was funny. Yeah. Uh, E3M2, Fire and Ice, also has a pretty good setup for it. Uh, because at that, it, at that point, uh, Crossbow is one of the only weapons you have. And there's a fast fire totem that's at the top of a large room that has like lava falls going down it. Mm -hmm. And so you can pick up that fast fire and use the crossbow, shoot at the enemies below you uh, and hover above them. I've got a good video of doing that. Yeah, it's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that comes from the fact that the crossbow has that recoil or that like pushback basically when you fire it. Mm -hmm. Do we have uh, so weapons that recoil in the sense of like your aim moves up is something that is fairly common in first-person shooters. I don't know that it's necessarily in games of the Dusk reference period. Like, I don't... Like, Quake, your aim doesn't move when you shoot, right? 
right? Doesn't move when you sh shoot any of the guns. Yeah. The assault rifle. Well, I mean the the pistol and chain. The pistol is the only one where in in Doom where its aim is random, so it's kind of the effect of like a recoil, but without literally moving your aim. Uh, right. The first shot of the handgun or the chain gun is more accurate in Doom. Yeah. Which is actually something that's replicated on the assault rifle in Dusk. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think about the dual wielding? I thought dual wielding shotguns was cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dual wielding pistols actually made the pistols a useful you know, a useful weapon. It doesn't feel like this trash thing that you throw out. Um, and dual wielding shotguns, uh, like just the idea of it, that that was cool because, uh, you know. I um, I liked dual wielding shotguns because uh, Quake has a really fast paced shotgun, and so. Uh, throwing another one in there lets you shoot faster, and it felt like that gun again. Yeah, it's also just like the image that comes to my mind is is the scene of from Terminator where Arnold just shoots a shotgun with one goddamn hand. I think he actually broke his hand doing that. <laughs> That's the story. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's badass to shoot a shotgun with one hand, so he's doing it with two. That's why. Yeah, there's a, a pretty big coolness factor to it. And he reloads the shotguns the same way that Arnold does in, the, in that scene. Yeah. Um, I wanted to see the rest of the weapons dual-wielded, though. I felt like Dusk stopped too early with that. I wanted dual assault rifles and dual super shotguns and dual riveters. How are you going to do that with the hunting rifle? Uh, super awesomely. Yeah, it's carrying carrying a two-handed weapon with one hand is like this easy cool factor right there. I mean, that's like sort of the whole point of giant mechs is that like you can put however many weapons on every arm as you want. Yeah. Or the whole appeal of the big stupid swords that uh, you swing with one one hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why can't we dual wield swords? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the sword is actually another element that brings us back to Hexen. Uh, the the sword is like I thought it was a little out of place in Dusk, but um, not, not that that's necessarily detrimental or anything. But it, it wasn't something, I guess what I would say is it's not something I expected to show up. Because the sickles are sort of like a really rugged sort of weapon. Like something you pick yeah. up out of a tool shed. Yeah, the sickles, I mean, I guess some people don't know if they've never been anywhere in the country. But a sickle is an actual thing that you use to, you know, cut shit with. Same with scythes, if people don't remember the original purpose of what a scythe is for. Um... So yeah, like the sickles, especially since it's like Pennsylvania countryside, like that made sense. The sword was like, the swords <laughs> became outdated by the time like the 1800s, 1900s came around. Like we already had guns at that point. So swords are like even more 
like sickles were still useful. Swords were like heavily outdated by that time. Well, I, it's supposed to feel like an artifact, sort of, that you pick up, right? Yeah, because you you find it in this like castle-looking ass place, so that's it makes sense in the location you find it. It's just not something I would have expected in the the game, kind of to your point. Yeah, and the you compared it to the gems golem. Yeah, because the idea of being like a treasure hunter. Yeah, yeah. In, um, yeah, go on. In terms of the gameplay, I really like the sword for the charge attack. Uh, I just the idea of a big commitment melee move that does a lot of damage is really cool, but it is a shame that you only get it at a hundred per. Or, 100 health or above because I rarely ever have that uh, so it seems like maybe like a something that is regarded as overpowered and so you need to be especially good at the game to use it so the game balances that on a more abstract level than other weapons are balanced yeah is it does it actually one-shot everything? I've never tested it out on the beefier enemies. I'm pretty sure not. Oh, it doesn't? I... See... What about bosses? Yeah, that'd be... That'd be something to test, like, how much of a... How much health does it remove from one of those bosses? Yeah. Uh, I, I also never really... Uh, Why well, I think... Playing the game just to play it, not to experiment, really. I never bothered using the sword against, like, a mama. Or, I mean, a, a cowgirl, for instance. So, mm -hmm. uh, that would be one where it could have some practical use. Uh, it does kill a Wendigo in one hit, and those are pretty sturdy. That's cool. Yeah. I know a Wendigo can take, like, two super shotguns. Yeah, they're they're one of the, that's see that's why I said they're they're not that comparable to goat or why I said at least that they're higher tier enemy because they um, can eat a lot of punishment and they deal a lot of damage. They can kill you in I think two hits, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the difficulty mode that you're playing in. Right. Shadi, did you ever use the sword? Yeah, I did. It's fun. <laughs> I think it's... Well, I think it's interesting that when you get the sword in uh, uh, earlier episodes, it doesn't tell you that what you what you can do with it. <laughs> and the special thing about the sword is that you can use it to deflect projectiles yeah. <laughs> from enemies back at them and at the cost of morale. That's weird because I distinctly remember the game telling me that. Uh, really? But yeah. Adrian, are you thinking of E three M one though? Yeah. Yeah, it tells well, you that in episode three, but not if you get it in an earlier episode. Oh, right. okay, okay, that's what you mean. Yeah, I yeah. did find out uh, after replaying E one that you actually can. One of the secrets you actually can find that sword uh, a lot earlier than uh, I, you would have expected it to. Yeah. Um. I don't remember the first time it shows up, but it definitely shows up in both episode one and episode two, even though playing like 
strictly without exploring at all, I guess. It, it's a new weapon for episode three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's really the only weapon that's held back a long time like that. I guess the mortar doesn't show up till fairly late. Yeah, the mor- the mortars... I don't remember the exact level that one does show up. Or at least where it shows up in a way where it's like the game clearly wants you to pick it up and use it. I feel like it's in the Erebus Reactor. It's definitely in Erebus Reactor, but that's not its first appearance. Yeah. No, but I think that's still pretty early on. Well, that's like halfway through the game. That's yeah. actually almost the exact midpoint. Because I know in... um, I think it's E1M7, Dead of the Night, where that one is like the most like clear-cut intro for the crossbow, because you pick it up, it literally spawns a line of the clansmen, and you can like one-shot nail all of them if you do it right. So and I know that, that one is like, they want you to get that crossbow. That's another one that explains to you the way the weapon works. They give you a little text about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, to what Shouty said, I also found the sword fairly early and uh, was I would have benefited more if I had known at that point that it had that deflect move because I do feel like that is the more so than the, that one hit stab uh, especially on I haven't gotten into it a whole lot yet but on Duskmare I feel like being able to deflect projectiles with the sword is probably going to be a big deal yeah I can see that if you have the morale for the, the deflection one to work yeah, you need at least 50 more rounds to deflect a shot. Right. Yeah, and it costs one morale for each shot you deflect. So morale acts as ammo for the deflection ability. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I would have been using it on those uh, those freaking uh, cowgirls. The sword's cool and it replaces your sickles. Also, random comment. Uh, Goddamn, please the the hitbox on the sickles it's just like a shitty hit scan <laughs> i wish it wasn't uh yeah i do feel like the sickles are a little bit tough to use <clears throat> uh, but uh, so you can use the sword uh to defend against projectiles but then the other thing you can use to defend against projectiles without actually having to dodge is all the objects in the game that you can pick up um I never came up with a really satisfying name for these, but I think people usually call them throwables. Um, so I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, barrels, crates, uh, bars of soap around the stage, you can pick up and throw at enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh Golem, you said earlier, I think, that you didn't really use those. Well, first I gotta get off my chest. Uh, it always sounds like we're talking about Java. Uh, throwable, yeah, <laughs> throwable exception. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's something that I I was trying to use more uh, replaying maps for this discussion, but um, throwables obstruct your view. So as I was trying to learn the game and get used to how it worked. Uh, more often than not, someone would shoot the 
throwable and then it would just be gone and then I'd be confused or like God help you if you're holding an explosive barrel and someone shoots it. Um, although you can use the indestructible cubes to block shots um, and they actually seem pretty powerful. They gib uh, a lot of stuff. Um, so that's my review of throwables. <laughs> Thank they're, you. Yeah, they're oddly powerful. Uh, the cube, I, that metal cube that has like four studs on each side, um, as you said, that's indestructible. And uh, I got the sense from using that and from experimenting a little bit with the other ones that the amount of, that there's some like internal weight number or mass number for a uh, throwable and that determines how much damage it can absorb and also how much damage it does uh, or it, it deals when it, it's actually thrown at an enemy. Mm-hmm. So those ones are very, they absorb a lot of hits and they can one hit kill and then the on the other side of the spectrum, the like crates, uh, those can only take one projectile pretty much before they're destroyed and they're not going to kill many enemies that you throw them at. Yeah. I remember when in the, uh, the cutty mine, when using the rocks, there's also something where it's like, I think they need to travel a certain distance before. Well, I think I... they accelerate. Yeah. Cause I remember I th- when you were watching me play for the first time, there were a couple times where like I threw it at an enemy and it didn't actually jib them like it was like it usually did. Yeah, I, like it, well, I think it it's like a real thrown object in that sense. Like if I stood one inch away from you and threw a baseball and it hit you an inch after it left my hand, it wouldn't have accelerated enough. <laughs> Wait, I want to see this. There were moments where it felt kind of jank. Well, I mean, just picking up things in general. Uh, I don't know what the distance it like floats out of your hands, but uh, especially in the more narrow areas of dusk, it felt like uh, it was kind of awkward trying to uh, carry things through them because it would just get stuck on the geometry. Sometimes if you swung around, it would teleport like alongside it. Uh, other times it just uh, get dislodged from your grip. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, in E2M3, there's a pretty notable, or not pretty notable, pretty obvious secret where you like stack up throwables to jump up to a uh, air duct. Do you use throwables for platforming that often in Dusk? I feel I really only remember that one time. I remember it for secrets. Um, there's one in E2M1 where there's like this uh, fenced off electrical station that you also use it to jump up there. Oh. Uh, it's also how I used to find the secret exit in episode one. So, yeah, the stacking things on top of each other and using them to reach higher places, I think that was... Um, I mean, I only just listed three examples, but I, I did make use of it in Dusk. Shouty, remember when we were trying to figure out how to get to the top of that barn? Yeah, I remember that. We were, like, stacking barrels on the track. In um, E1M2, there's that barn that has a... You can see it has the health cross on top of it. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to figure out how to get up there, so both of us went through the 
motions of like trying to stack barrels on top of that little tractor that's right next to it. Uh, and so it can get, when you're stacking throwables on top of throwables, it starts to get like pretty, uh, Jenga E. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you, you got to jump. You don't want to get too close to them because then dust guy will touch it and it'll knock over the whole tower. You need to jump so that he lands on top, uh, without too much lateral force. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the indestructible ones are partially there for platforming purposes uh, so that you can get to places that you wouldn't be able to uh, if you destroyed all the like barrels or crates or whatever other throwables there were. Yeah, yeah the, the secret that Adrian just mentioned has a bunch of those indestructible steel four-studded blocks. Uh, what about the soap, Shouty? What about the soap? Yeah. <laughs> I was only told about the soap, but it's basically, it's similar to the, the the indestructible steel blocks in that you can throw it out and, at, at any enemy and it'll it instantly kill them. I forget if it works on bosses like this, though. I, I think it does. It does work on bosses. Okay. Which is funny. <laughs> you yeah, just, you just watch the uh, the intoxicator evaporate. <laughs> it really, it really hammers home the whole th- uh, theme of like clean uh, cleanliness and like being clean or of of like demonic spirits or whatever <laughs> that the game seems to have going for. Like, I guess like hygiene is the way to beat a cold uh, from. Uh, in the other world. I got Kleenex so, and I'm not afraid to use it. They're, yeah. Yeah, it's just the possessions or whatever are an infection, basically. Mm-hmm. And the main character is afraid of frogs and rats. Yeah, had the plague rats, so it's like... I guess that's like the theme of the game. It's like just unclean... Physically unclean things lead to demonic possessions. Dust guy just needs to carry a bottle of hand sanitizer with him everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Obligatory this game predicted the pandemic comment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, I don't know what the crossbow bolts are made out of. There's some kind of green magic stuff, so maybe that could be some sort of antiseptic agent. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so the soap is sort of like a little, I wouldn't really call it an Easter egg. It's something that is, there's one of them hidden in each map, and it's fairly useful, like depending on how uh, tolerant you are of the throwable system or how interested you are in using that. You know, I can certainly see that, see a, a lot of players not engaging with that at all. Because you're in a shooting game and you want to shoot things, you don't want to pick up things and throw them. It's yeah. also tiny. Yeah, well, it's it, slippery. It, <laughs> it, it goes to one of the things about the 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 fact that picking up and throwing things is not as easy to use because it's it's almost a little bit of the issue with the 
with the, the melee weapons where it's just like make sure you line up your your tiny crosshair on that because you know the game otherwise has no goddamn understanding of look i'm trying to pick up this thing you don't need to be so anal about which pixel is on top of the object yeah i think it's the that interaction is the sort of thing that is simple and it works but it doesn't always feel the smoothest and like um it's not doing any work for you basically like you can always pick up the right thing that you wanted to because you always know that the crosshair, whatever the crosshair is pointed at, is going to be what you interact with. There's no worries about, like, oh, I was, for some reason, it picked up the barrel that I was next to when I wanted it to pick up the crate. So it's precise, mm-hmm. uh, but at the cost of uh, a bit of clumsiness or whatever clumsiness the player brings to it, basically. Right, I mean, he has to be good at picking up things. Right, like I, I remember, I, I, I can't believe I'm bringing this game of all things. It's like in Borderlands, like it, it is not a struggle to pick up your ammo. In fact, they even have a where if you hold to the pickup button, it'll just like, like magnetize all of them into you. So it's like Borderlands is what I look at. It's like Borderlands has the same thing, and it's like not a pain in the ass. Obviously, you don't pick up and throw them, but you do have like loot that you pick up in that game. Um, that is absolutely not the same like clumsiness I experienced when trying to just pick up things in Dusk. Yeah, that makes sense. We just said about it like magnetizing towards you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the throwables definitely are a Half-Life uh, derived elements, I, I would say. Um, Half-Life 2. Uh, Half-Life doesn't have that, I don't think. Um but uh, certainly it reminds you or reminds me a little bit of using the gravity gun. I mean, you didn't need to use the gravity gun. You could just pick up stuff. Uh, so I, I like the throwables. I actually think they're cool. I, To me, that was one of the aspects of Dusk I got more into. Um, I enjoyed experimenting with them. And uh, maybe part of that was that the first time I played through the game was entirely on intruder mode. And so when you are more limited on ammo, uh, the throwables are like a environmental-based weapon. You know, yeah. there's something that the level design can lay out for you and that you can seek out in a similar way to the way that um, in Doom or Quake or Dusk, you can seek out secrets. Um, you know, if, if you're stuck, you're out of ammo, um you just want to power up basically you can backtrack into whatever areas you've already cleared of enemies and you can go looking for secret ammo caches or weapons that you missed Mm -hmm. and that was what i found myself doing in dusk but not looking for weapons looking for throwables instead like where is a uh, explosive barrel that I can use for this next setup. Like uh, it, using explosive barrels uh, as a counter to ambushes is something that I would do. Yeah. Um, I again, I've got a video of doing that with Big John, where you could just set up a bunch of explosive barrels and where he spawns in and uh, let him blow them up in his own face. <laughs> uh. Uh, but then the like soap is the natural extension of that. It's the combination of secret hunting and throwable hunting 
you seek out basically the best throwable. Right. Yeah, no, I like the... I really, I, if I was to perhaps do a little bit of mind reading for why I think the throwables in, is in the game, is like I, I sometimes I get the feeling that uh, Szymanski was also a fan of Deus Ex, and in Deus Ex you can also pick up and throw shit. And uh, he might have also put a little bit of that into the game. Well, Deus Ex, I think, is in the DNA of first-person shooters, for sure, so... Yeah. In intentional or not, it's a good reference point. Yeah. And, of course, I also appreciate the environment interactions, and it gives that one extra layer of interaction where, oh, there's TNT barrels in the environment. Oh, I can, like, control where they are, and that's another point of strategy. So one of my favorite ones is the, the exploding barrels. Some of them don't explode right away. Uh, Greg commented how sometimes you're carrying one and then an enemy shoots in. It's like, oh, great, and it lights up. But it acts more as a timed explosive. Um, and those, those are the ones that I really like. It's like, oh, I'll pick up a barrel. I'll pop a pistol into it and then throw it and watch it <laughs> uh, blow shit up. The red ones are the, the more dangerous ones. Right, the gas cans. Those yeah. are the ones that blow up uh, immediately. And the gas cans are also used for another unique feature of Dusk, which is the cracked walls. Uh, which, if you really wanted to draw that back to a first-person shooter reference, that would be where you might look at Red Faction, uh, which is well known for its digging system, basically, which is not at all what you get in Dusk. Uh, in what about Dusk, Duke Nukem 3D? Yeah, I was thinking that Duke too. Yeah, in Duke, do it. It just feels like, I guess... In Dusk, it's all secrets that are done that way, right? Whereas in uh, Duke 3D, I feel like blowing up walls is more like a cinematic thing. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, Duke does, does have some uh, uh, no, it definitely. You no, need. you're right. You're right, it does. So Duke 3D, yeah, it's a good, good reference point for that. But then in Dusk, it's a little bit different because, you know, that is something that you can do with the Riveter or the Mortar, which are weapons that you might not have ammo for or that you might not get or that you don't get until somewhat later in the campaigns. Certainly if you're playing intruder mode, you're not going to have the Riveter and Mortar on hand all the time. So that those cracked walls play more into the throwable system in uh, my experience because I would find a gas can usually or sometimes an explosive barrel and think like alright I'm going to set this aside and look around for destructible walls uh, because it's going to be useful for that so it's it plays into the exploration as well I actually think that uh, that might be good enough for our first recording. I feel like we've sort of covered the gamut in broad detail of, and sometimes less than broad detail, <laughs> more specific, more than broad detail. Um, A lot of specifics. Of the weapons, the throwables, um, the enemies. And, you know, we've alluded to some map references, but uh, we're going to get together in the future and 
uh, focus in on specific maps and talk about uh, you know what enemies are featured in this map what weapons are the uh, uh, focus of this map uh, what type of arenas does X or Y map use uh, did you guys have any other like burning thoughts or strong initial impressions that you wanted to talk about um it, it is more towards the arena counters but i, I think we will naturally come across that topic in the next podcast yeah um but i would second that and and that is something that i want to talk about more is uh like what is an arena and um, how that factors into the design of Dusk's maps. Yeah. I wanted to mention, uh, I did ask on Reddit, um, what is Dusk's identity? Or like, what bring? What does Dusk bring to the FPS table? And I got some pretty good responses. Uh, the first one, uh, up, got the most upvotes, is Cart Dog. That's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love Cart Dog too. That, yeah. that one's morbidly hilarious. Uh, Runner-up was quadruple crossbow propelled front flips. Okay, uh, and there were vertical, ver- yeah, vertical flipping. Yeah, yeah, and there were a couple other responses. Uh, the one that made me furrow my brow was um. Movement. No FPS game gives you complete control except Dusk. And so I kind of wondered, like, what, uh, how is Dusk unique in movement as opposed to Quake? I mean, bunny hopping is easier. Like, way easier. Like, all you need to do is hold two keys and jump easier. Shade, do you feel like the control in Dusk is more precise or... Uh, more freeing and loose yeah I would say yeah. so it's, it's especially because of the, the flips you can manually do I do think that yeah that, that aspect of vertical flipping it, it's not something and vertical flipping is that basically there's no minimum angle uh, so or on the y axis so of course in any first person shooter um, you can turn 360 degrees on the uh, XY plane, I guess. Um, I'm going to mix up axes now. So on the lateral plane, uh, you can always turn 360, but on the vertical, the uh, Z axis, um, you usually have a maximum and minimum angle so that you can't look straight down at the ground uh, and you can't uh, move to negative angles when you're in the air. Uh, but Dusk does enable that. That's something that we saw in Descent, <laughs> um, which is obviously different for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But if you want to talk about uh, degrees of freedom, you know, I think Descent's got it beat. It's got yeah. all six degrees of freedom. Yeah, I wouldn't say I had complete control in Descent just because of the uh, <laughs> momentum. You had too much control in Descent. <laughs> you had so much control, it didn't fit on the fucking keyboard. <laughs> it barely fit on the keyboard, I should say. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, momentum. I, I really haven't actually paid attention to how much momentum Dusk Guy has versus uh, Doom uh, or Quake. You have pretty much none, right? Like you can stop really like on a dime in Quake. I feel like is that right, or am I misremembering? I'm gonna have to test. Yeah, off the top of my head, I don't remember. I just know that uh, Quake's the origin of bunny hopping. Yeah, I don't remember sliding down the stairs in Quake the way that I do in Doom. Right, yeah. I feel like Doom Guy has... If you're used to later first-person shooters, Doom Guy is sort of like a uh, bowling ball. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a funny way to put it. But uh, Dusk, I think you have pretty precise control in terms of, uh, or pretty limited momentum. Like, you can change directions very quickly, if not instantaneously, in Dusk. Um, and the the other move that's unique to it is the, or unique from these older games, is the slide. Oh, oh yeah. So that slide being a nice, fast... It, it's one that you get to get fairly quickly. You don't have to build it up like the bunny hop. But uh, yeah, no, that the slide is slide's pretty cool. And the fact that you can actually duck under the projectiles, which I've done myself, that one is especially appreciated because he could have easily made the mistake of making the projectiles uh, oversized to where it would hit you whether you were standing up or crouching. And thankfully, he did not make that mistake. Yeah, um... I wonder if it's any harder to slide under the goat projectiles than it is anything else. Since they're uh, coming from a lower height, is just what I was thinking. Yeah, you might be able to jump over it instead. Yeah, you probably can. Hard thing to time. Uh, But the slide is a way of... That actually increases the amount of momentum you have uh, maybe just by nature of accelerating you, I'm not sure. But basically, uh, I think the experiment is an example of where you can circle strafe an enemy in a slightly different way than you would in a game that doesn't have some sort of momentum preservation or inertial preservation technique. Um, so when you slide, you continue with momentum in the direction you were moving, but you can turn somewhat without redirecting all of that uh so you can slide orthogonally to the boss and then turn back towards the boss and shoot it quickly while you're sliding um Mm -hmm. it's i guess i'd call that a high level technique i mean it's a not something that you're forced to do and, and it's it requires you to be kind of quick on the controls, but I think that it is fairly fluid if you uh, screw around with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think slides are maybe becoming more popular in first-person shooters. I feel like I've seen oh, that yeah. more. Uh, Apex Legends, like that, all immediately off the top of my head, that that one comes to mind. Uh, okay, and it's a cool slide too because you like as you do it on a slope, you just go like way fast. <laughs> Oh, like Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I guess one lingering comment I have, but is a little bit on the identity 
or at least what I think it might be, if that's okay to do it now, or just save it for later. I just want to talk one more second about the slide. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, does Shouty, does Doom Eternal have a slide? No. Uh, it's behind the times. Yeah. Does Doom Eternal have, like, other cool movement techs? Well, I mean, just like how Mega Man has a slide and Mega Man X has the dash, right. that's what, uh, Doom Eternal has. Ah, okay. So you do have like an accelerate button, but it's a yeah. dash. And like, like, and like Mega Man X, you can have a mid-air dash. Unbelievable. <laughs> Doom guy air dashing. <laughs> Does seem silly. Uh, that was the extent of my additional questions about the slide. So go on, Adrian, with what you're going to say. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think part of like the, the identity of dusk, I don't know if it can be narrowed down to any one thing. I mean, I imagine that part of like, like nowadays the whole throwback shooter shit is like a lot more commonplace. I think dusk has, is just the benefactor of being one of the earlier ones. Cause you said what? 2017, yeah, and uh, I think a lot of people consider Dusk to be the real first of the boomer shooter rebirth. Um, I think that's a, a slightly, it's a more complicated question than the scope of this podcast allows, but for the purposes of uh, ease of understanding, it sort of birthed the trend. Okay, I mean, so besides that... um with dusk I, I would just say like it's it's just a culmination of a lot of little things like every noteworthy idea like the Escher labs is one that stands out and then um what's the this the one where you like fall off the world and then you come back homecoming uh, e3m7 yeah that one so a lot of it is just like little stuff like that and then of course the the rustic Pennsylvania aesthetic too that one that one's neat because I don't think that's it's a different brand of the horror that I don't think actually was done in any of the uh, earlier shooters. Wait, uh, Shouty, you said that it reminded you of Redneck Rampage, and that's why you didn't want to play it. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, I said. That. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. uh, <laughs> Redneck. Yeah, I encourage you to look up Redneck Rampage. Um, I've actually afterwards. seen the box art of that game. That's why I, I know about it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, thankfully, Dusk is not that similar. Yeah. I mean, I did not hear it was a good game. It was just like the only other game that used the uh, the the engine that Duke uses. Uh, yeah. The build engine, that's what it's called. Well, Blood also uses the build engine. Right. Oh, right. You're right. Redneck Rampage is like the fourth build engine game. It's like... The build engine game is Duke Nukem 3D. Um, then the, uh, you know, Civi would refer to them as the holy trinity of build engine games as Duke, uh, Blood, and Shadow Warrior. And then it's like, well, if we really have to talk about other games in the build engine, then the next one to come up is Redneck Rampage. <laughs> uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, there are actually probably 
a dozen or so games. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but there are a number of other games in the build engine. Duke 3D isn't even technically the first, I think. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really matter here. But yeah, uh, so the, the, the Pennsylvania aesthetic, uh, what you're saying is something that the developer said was uh, another inspiration for him, basically. Uh, aside from existing first-person shooters, the idea of rural Pennsylvania was something that's where he grew up, I believe, and uh, is something that he wanted to recreate in the game. And I think that that is... I agree that that's a pretty cool idea, and I think it comes across quite well. Yeah. Um, as someone that grew up in rural America, like, I this is a not like condescending version of it. Yeah, and that's I that's that's always uh, helpful, even if it also contains some of the less flattering aspects of it. Like, uh, I think the <laughs> I don't know why, but there's always that association of uh, the more rural parts being. As, having a where cults form right and i think that that is something that uh wow we got like an hour and 40 minutes without having to say hp lovecraft (laughs) uh you know i thought you were gonna reference the x-files episode with the amish people oh i thought you were gonna reference the x-files episode with the cave people (laughs) (laughs) home oh god no, I never want to think about that episode again. Right. Uh, Adrian, you were going to say? Uh, I, actually, no, I wasn't going to say anything, no. Oh, okay. Um, the the cults of rural or backwards, uh, backwards country, I think um, that comes to dusk, that not necessarily invented by H.P. Lovecraft, but certainly is a fixation of his, and I think it comes to dusk through Lovecraft, probably. Um, as far as I know, uh, Lovecraft coined the term white trash uh, hmm. to describe Appalachian people in the Appalachian Mountain region of America, which would be huh. like rural Pennsylvania, rural uh, Virginia. What, yeah, I'm I was pretty sure that term predated uh, Lovecraft. Sorry, say again, Shadi? I'm pretty sure that term predated Lovecraft. White trash? Yeah. It, either way, it, he notably uses it um, okay. to uh, describe them, which, uh, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, the, the, uh, there was something else. I, I, I'll say something else about it after the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, All Dusk Had to Go was its first episode, like just someone having a very clear art direction for the game is incredibly helpful. So, and having that intention to detail as well. So, yeah, that gives this game like a huge boost and it's, uh, you know, people taking note of it. Yeah, it's not a Doom clone or a Quake clone at all on the aesthetic level. <laughs> Certainly relatable to those but not a clone at all yeah it's like you could probably make it like if especially if you live there if you made a game in like i don't know say like the pacific northwest and just like all the things that make that area of the country unique and then just put it into a game it's like yeah so that'll you can develop an uh, interactive visual aesthetic for your game yeah so it helps that he has that he had that for uh, where he grew up 
Golem, what's that game that's inspired by Twin Peaks, or that's like Twin Peaks the game? I mean, there's a couple of them. Um... I think you have Deadly Premonition. Yeah, I'm thinking of Deadly Premonition. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what were what other examples? Uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> the reason I was pausing is because, is because I am not able to conjure their names. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I have right. difficulty doing that with Deadly Premonition. Uh, before we get further off topic, I think that we can wrap it up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Wait, you didn't so, ask Shouty for his final. No, I think I, I, I would also like to explore the identity of Dusk as well. I think you basically covered everything that I would have said. Okay. Well, um, as I mentioned before, uh, this is the first in a series. We're going to talk more about uh, the specific maps, uh, specific settings of Dusk. Uh, But I wanted to get everyone together just so that we could uh, sort of cover the basics of the game and get our perspectives in line or uh, juxtaposed against one one another uh, before we get into a... uh, more specific discussion so uh this has been fun uh thank you guys for joining me yeah thanks for having us yeah it's been great and this is the commune podcast signing off